Hey, I'm Pastor Mike, and thank you so much for taking time to check out this message. And I hope that it inspires you. I hope it pushes you either towards a relationship with Jesus or further along in your relationship with Jesus. But we would never want this message to replace the reality of what it means to be involved with a local church. Although I'm excited that you're checking this out and I, and I hope it speaks to you, let me encourage you that you need to be involved in a local body. There's something to the fact that you need to be under the authority of the spiritual lead of a pastor and involved in a community that can push you uh, further along. We are meant to be in community. So enjoy this message, but let me encourage you to be seeking an opportunity to be involved with a local church. Be a man. Be tough. Be sweet. No one likes a smarty pants. Don't be such a sissy. Handle it like a man. You should go on a diet. Play the field. Be sexy, but not too sexy. Show him who's boss. You're a princess. You make the money. Let him take care of you. Pick yourself up. Know your place. Keep your mouth shut. The world tells us who we're supposed to be, but it keeps changing its mind. Throughout time, throughout cultures, we can't decide what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman. The message, the plan, it keeps changing. But what if there was something else? What if there was something better? Something that existed since the beginning. Something untouched by time. Something true and perfect. If you haven't been here, it's your first time here, welcome. We're really glad that you're here this morning. And uh, you came in at an interesting point. Uh, we are right dead in the middle of a series. And it's, but today is the hinge of the series. And what I mean by that is, is we have been talking about manhood, right? For the, last, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about what the Bible says about manhood, what it means to be a man, what the Bible says about manhood. We talked about things like headship, not leadership, um, and, and a little bit of difference there. And I would challenge you, if you didn't see those, go back and look at them. They're online. Uh, it may be something to kind of challenge. And we were talking about this. Uh, because, and I had some people initially, when I brought up this uh, series, were like, really, Pastor Mike, you're really going to go there? And yeah, I'm really going to go there. And here's why. Because our culture is going there. And if we don't keep up with, and when I say keep up with, at least understand our culture, how can we evangelize our culture? Like, how can we bring the love of Christ? How we, can we bring who God is if we don't understand how they think? And I don't know if you realize this, and probably to be honest, and I'm not picking on our older folks, but the older you are, the more removed you are from what I'm about to say. Because what I found was when we did this beautiful design and we were going to do this series originally, originally we were going to call it Gender Matters. And when I said Gender Matters, if you were 35 and down, they went, ooh. And if you were 40 and above, they went, oh, good, that's good. And I thought, whoa, 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 there's, the, like I saw something there culturally. Are you, are you understanding what I'm getting at? Right? The reality is, is that there is a younger generation. And if you're in that younger generation here today and you're hearing what I'm saying to you right now, you're kind of like, oh, here we go, gender, identity, this is going to get weird, all this kind of stuff. And, and here's what I want to say to you guys, and that is take a deep breath. Um, first and foremost, we're here to love everyone. Everyone. Right? If, if, if we don't love everyone and we don't allow anyone and everyone to come just like they are, not that we, God wants them to stay there, but just like they are, and that they're loved 
And as a person accepted, not a behavior accepted, but as a person accepted. If we don't do that, we don't believe our own gospel. You hear, you hear? And so I made the challenge. If you remember a few weeks back, I made the challenge and said, if somebody was at the end of your row when you did the meet and greet just a minute, and they were like, you know, obese, would you feel uncomfortable shaking their hand? And, and most of us would go, ah, no, no, no big deal. Like, okay, yeah, I, I've been to a couple CC's buffets myself and had some people, you know. But then I said, but if there was somebody sitting at the end of your row and they were transgender, that got a little different. That felt a little different. And, and here's what we need to hear in the church. Listen to me. We have given a lot of lip service to this idea of loving the sinner and not loving the sin. And, and, and we have a tendency for us to point at something. So before I go any further today in what I'm going to say today, because today we're going to talk about marriage and the definition of marriage. But before I go anywhere else, listen to me and, and hear me on this. Although some of the things I may say today for you are no-brainers. You're like, well, yeah, duh, kind of a thing. Listen to me, there may be somebody sitting next to you that doesn't have the exact same feeling. There may be somebody sitting around you that's struggling with that concept. So again, I want to remind you, be careful with your responses. You know, be, care- be careful with, with the way you might respond. I mean, there's nothing wrong with an amen, but you, do you understand what I'm saying? If the person next to you is struggling with this concept. And so we want to be conscious because our job here today is, is, is to find out what it is that God says. And part of the struggle that's going on in our culture is that we are, um, we are in the middle of a moral transition. I don't know if you really grasp that. Um, but we are very much in the middle of a, a moral transition where we are transitioning away from traditional Judeo-Christian morality. right? And the morality that we're shifting to, and hear me on this, the morality that we're shifting to is all about feelings. It's, it's all about how I feel about situations. And so today's morality that we're rolling towards says this. If I feel a certain feeling multiple times, that must be who I am. That I find my identity through feelings, through, like, that's, that's how. And so we have a whole culture that's saying that. And, and, and what we have to understand, our message as believers in Christ, and if you're not a believer this morning... I'm, I'm being real transparent with you of, of where we are or what we think. But, but if, you're, if you're dealing with someone who's not a believer, then a bunch of rules just seem like a bunch of rules because I feel this way. And that's why it's such a beautiful deception by the enemy of our souls. Is because, well, I feel it, so it must be. And, 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 and I need you to hear something. Your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. Your, your, your feelings are, are not something to be trusted. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah it says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. And if we're really honest, if we're left alone, if we think nobody's watching, it's amazing what we will consider in our minds and the thought processes that go through. And so here we are, we are, we are a sinful people in a sinful world trying to find what is God's truth. And in a sense, we're fighting ourselves, right? We're fighting this whole thing, but I want it this way. I feel it that way. And and so we said it this way. There's a creator who created you and I, and that makes us the created. So there's a creator and the created. And the created does not get a say in how things are designed, right? If, If you... 
take a piece of clay and you design something and that piece of clay turned back at you and went, no, 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 do it this way. That's, that's just not how it works. That's not creator created. And we are the created. And so we have this tendency in our sinful nature to say, well, I don't think that's right. Or I don't feel that, fill in the blank. Or I don't see what's wrong with. And sin has caused us to want our sexuality, the manhood, womanhood thing, to work the way we want it to work. To work the way we feel and the way we desire. But the Creator, listen, has built a beautiful design for the created. A design that works best for us and it is for the benefit of us. So let me say it this way. i got to fill in there. Your first fill in, it says this. In order for life to work, let the one who designed it define it. In order for, if we're going to have life work, we have to let the designer define what it looks like. And so we've been talking about manhood. Today we're going to switch our focus from manhood to marriage. And then ladies, it's your turn next month. We're going to talk about womanhood. We're going to talk about what that looks like. And what it, but today I want to talk specifically about the relationship of man and woman and, and, and actually how we're to interact and how we can see that in the original. But we talked about man and womanhood as very distinct, right? Equal, yes? Equal in value. Did Jesus die any more for a man than he did for a woman? Absolutely not. Equal in value, but different in role. Different in the way he made for us to function. And so, you were designed as a man or a woman, and as the created, we cannot tell the creator that he messed up. We can recognize that sin causes us to feel messed up, but the creator did not mess up. Do you understand the difference? We blame the things that go on in this world on God. We say, God, the bad things happen in this world, and we blame him when it is our sin and our sinful nature that causes these things to be on this planet. Do you understand? We live out the consequences of sin that we created in this world, not that he created. And the mistake is, is that the created, not wanting it to do God's way, will turn, catch this, this is so important, will we'll turn to earthly rationale. Earthly rationale is based on feelings and what I can see. Let me give you an example. So there's this, there's this young girl, and she loved knives, and um, she collected knives, and she trained in martial arts. Um, her name is Jennifer Matheny. That's my wife. I asked her the other day. I'm like, the kids are leaving soon. Hopefully, pray. anyway, no. But the kids are leaving soon, and so if I got you, if I updated your car, like what's what's the car? What do you want? She said, I want a jacked-up Toyota pickup truck. Now, listen, why, why the boy? See, the boy perhaps is saying, the women are going, what? Right? And here, listen to me, listen. So by earthly rationale, is she less of a woman? Because she likes knives and still has a collection of knives. Okay, so let me say it to you this way. If you've been here for any amount of time, you've seen me cry. I'm a pretty emotional guy, right? I also thoroughly enjoy musical theater. Does that make me less of a man? I say these things because I need you to catch something. We're looking at people around us today and using earthly rationale to define their identity instead of looking to the creator and what he says and who they're supposed to be. Do you understand what we're doing? 
We're taking earthly ideas and earthly concepts and, and creating something that's just not true. Because I like musical theater, because I'm more, as a matter of fact, I'm more emotional than my wife. Like, you probably have never seen my wife cry. Even if you've spent a lot of time with her, that's just not who she is. See, we have a tendency to go, well, that's more masculine, that's more feminine. But those are earthly rationales. So our concept that I need you to kind of get out of and we've got to pull away from is old school, earthly, archaic ideas of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and get back to the scripture. And what is it the scripture says actually defines and differentiates between a man and a woman? Because we live in Lake County, Florida. Well, yeehaw, y'all. Right? And so the reality is it's that old school, good old boy, the bigger your truck, the bigger the man. And so listen, these are, those are earthly rationales for us to consider what manhood is, what womanhood is. And so I'm going to ask you to back your mind out of all that. And say these are, these are worldly concepts, and we're just taking what the scripture says about manhood and womanhood and defining what that is. So we defined manhood, we talked about some things like headship, the fact that the man is supposed to be head, and yet, does a man always lead? Not necessarily. Right? There are times when my wife leads something, now under my headship, but there's a big difference there. And then we talked about last week the hurdles of a man. And the hurdles of a man, because of what we saw in the garden, are selfish passivity, either I walk away, I don't want anything to do with it, I'm out, forget it, we isolate. You ever been there? You ever had your husband walk away and go, that's it, I don't want anything to do with this, I'm done, you're hitting on my every last nerve, right? That's selfish passivity. Or the other opposite of the spectrum, which is selfish aggression. We get angry, we rule, right? And so last week we talked about those being hurdles for men that we have to overcome so that we can fulfill our role with our wife. So I want to pick up the story because there's an amazing... Um, <laughs> it's an amazing part of the story, and um, if you just read that part of the story by itself, you can take it a certain way. And the, and the words it says this in the scripture, it's not good for the man to be alone. And all the women said, amen. Right? Like, it's not good for my wife to be gone from the house. Because the house is going to kind of go to pots, if I'm quite honest. Uh, it is it, it's not and so we we do that why because culturally listen to me culturally we've made men the buffoon of the of the relationship right and so we read that wrongly let me read it to you and then i want us to ask the question why why is it not good for adam for this man to be alone in this situation and i think we can learn something about the relationship and what it means actually and what god intended when he put this thing called marriage together. Genesis 2, 18 through 24. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. That is a critical, underestimated sentence right there. You're going to understand more in just a minute. But for Adam, no suitable helper 
was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This now is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, underline that, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So there is a fundamental reason, catch this, reason why it's not good for Adam to be alone. And it was not because of anything that Adam lacked within himself. Here's what I mean by that. This is before the fall. Adam had no need. Right? He didn't need anything to fulfill him. So what we have to throw out the window is that this had anything to do with Adam and Adam's needs. You understand? Like, like you want to get really weird, so here's how my weird mind works, and please forgive me if this is weird for some of you, but we've often read it and we read that he's like naming the animals and there was no suitable helper found for Adam. What does that say? Like if you go at it from a weird angle, you go, so like among the rhinoceroses, they were looking for a mate for Adam. That's a little weird, right? You get into some kind of weird thing there. And especially if you start thinking sexually, physically or whatever. And, and that's where our mind goes. Why? Because we're thinking that Adam is lacking something. Adam needs, you know, something. And here's what I need you to catch. Adam was not lonely. And you and I have a hard time getting our minds out of that because every single one of us is lonely to some extent or not. We struggle with the reality of shame in our world, the reality of emotional turmoil with inside of ourselves. And so we don't need this, but I, I need you as best you can wrap your mind around what it means to not be lonely. Adam wasn't Lonely. I think we look at and we think of Adam's going, you know, rhinoceros. No, not that one. Elephant. Dang it. He's too, no, that dude's huge. And, and we have this picture. And I don't think Adam at all was struggling in the moment. I don't think he was looking for something. There's no need. Everything was perfect. There's no sin yet, right? Adam was not lonely. He was not trying to fulfill anything. Now, we've got this issue, because there's a verse that sort of seems counter to the whole marriage thing, and it happens in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9, and it says this. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So we have this wrestle. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard these. You're like, what is that exactly Paul is actually saying? What does he mean in that? Here, here's what I want to submit to you. The only reason that Adam needed a helper was not for his fulfillment, was so that he could fulfill what God had called him to do. In other words, right before this in chapter 1, the verse actually says that God told him, 
he created man, and he gives this big overview picture, and it says, he created the man and the woman, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over the earth. What does that mean? Well, be fruitful and multiply means have babies. To take dominion over this earth means that you would have dominion, you would have power. The kingdom of God would take control and rule in different areas. You're going to do that through offspring. In other words, Jen and I, our goal is to take my three girls that are at home right now and develop them into such women of God that one day when they marry, they and their husband take dominion wherever God places them. And then they create offspring. And it takes, that's how we spread the kingdom of God. Right? So the, the point was not that Adam needed something, except Adam needed a helper to fulfill God's purpose. Not something inside of him, not fixing something inside of him. So there's no conflict when we're talking to singles here. And if you're single, I need you to hear this. I need you to hear the reality that, for some of you, it may be good for you to stay single for a while or for a long time. Why? Because what Paul is saying is, is there may be a purpose for you that God has for you for this time period for singleness. And so many of us are wasting our singleness looking for a mate instead of using it for what it is that God may be trying to do something for you in the moment that you're in. All that to say, listen, 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 relationships between men and women are complementary and meant solely to fulfill the purpose of God. It is God's purposes that are what is important. So I have, um, when I first started as a pastor, I had uh, three couples come to me and say, we want to do premarital counseling. And I went 0 for 3. In other words, all three of them did not get married. And for a long time, like I thought, you know, maybe there's something with me. And then I realized what I was doing and the way I approached it with them was like this. I said, okay, look at the dude. Tell me your vision. Tell me what it is that God's called you to do. Like, uh, uh, I'm supposed to love people and, uh, and give a lot of money to the church. Right? And I look at her and this young woman and say, tell me what you feel like God's calling you to do or the direction that God's leading your life. And there was this, uh, 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 and stop and think this through. When we look across the hallway and we fall in love, although I hate that term because love is not a ditch. You don't fall into love. Love is a choice, right? But when we do that, here's what happens is I need someone close to me. I, I need help with this. I need, what is that? That's, that's a relationship based upon fulfilling my needs. As opposed to the original relationship, what it was about was fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And so the reason that you have a helpmate or the reason that you get a helpmate is not to fulfill your needs. The reason you get a helpmate is for you and that person to be able to fulfill what it is that God has called you to do. And or you don't need someone because right now your singleness is the perfect state for you to do what it is that God is calling you to do. Does that make sense? And so I challenge you today, because there's some of us here who have been married a long, long, long time. Mr. Wally, how long have you been married? 62 years. couple years? 62 years. But, listen, even in 62 years, we get to a point where we battle with each other. Anybody had any marriage battles lately? 
And you had a good, any good knockout drive? Okay, we had some real quick hands there. And your husbands aren't sitting next to you. That tells me something. <laughs> Just kidding. But listen, listen, the reason we battle, and, 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 and it says it in James, why, why do we fight and quarrel because of our evil desires inside of us that want what we want? Listen to me, the goal of your relationship, and those of you who are married, the goal of your relationship should be able to serve each other so that you can fulfill the purposes that God has for you. But if you're focusing the whole time on what you're not getting out of the relationship, it's going to go in a bad direction. It's going to go in a direction that, well, forget it. And, and I want to say it to you this way. I want to, I, I want to talk to you from the difference between what I'm going to call a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. The difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. See, covenant, listen to this, covenant is based on mutual commitment. Is the fill in there? Covenant is based on mutual commitment. We are mutually committed to each other. Why is that that different? Well, let me say it this way. Consumer relationships are based on a contract. You know what a contract is? Anybody ever been in contract? You sign a contract? You sign a contract for your house? You sign a contract for businesses? You know what's interesting about contracts? Every once in a while you'll find a contract that has an incentive program in the contract for people to do. But most contracts... Don't have any kind of language about you doing the right thing. Most contracts are just about when you do the wrong thing, here's the punishment. So contracts, listen to me, are based on mutual distrust. Let me ask you about your relationships, especially those with the opposite sex, especially those with your spouse. Is it about mutual commitment or is it about mutual distrust? Because there's a difference between covenant relationship that says, you know what, I'm going to serve you no matter what. But what happens is, is we battle so much with each other because we want our needs. Well, if you fill my needs, then I'll fill your needs. And that's never going to go in a good direction. And that's why so many of us right now, I recognize a battle Jen and I had a couple weeks ago. It was all about Mike wanting what Mike wanted the way Mike wanted it, right? But mutual commitment is us saying, you know what, I'm committed to you even on the days when it's hard. Let me say it this way. Covenant relationship with mutual commitment is willing to suffer to work through and get to the other side. I'm willing for it to be uncomfortable. I'm willing for it to be bad. We have gotten so much in our culture to a place where we love creature comforts and things are so easy in our culture that we're not willing to work at it. We're not, we're not willing to suffer a little bit. We're not willing to struggle. We're not willing to face conflict. When that's what covenant relationship says, is that I will be even uncomfortable. That, let, me, let me keep moving. I could go on that for days. Covenant, covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility. Covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility where contracts, uh, it, it, it projects rights and limits responsibility. In your relationships, in your marriage, in a healthy interaction with the opposite sex in a very healthy way, are you looking to get your needs filled, your rights, your interests? That's a contract. That's consumerism relationship. What am I? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? 
And we are in that mentality because that is our culture, right? I mean, everything's about contract. Go get a new cell phone, you're going to sign the contract. Right? And it's all going to be about what you, if you don't do this, then you're going to get charged that, and you're going to get this service fee if you don't, right? We live in a contractual world, but we are called to live in covenant relationship. You hear the difference? Do you understand the difference? So, I heard somebody say it this way. The greatest relationship in the world is when two servants choose to love each other. The worst relationship in the world is when two masters choose to love each other. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to serve. We're, we're, we're called, I don't, I don't know if you remember the story, but he took the rag and put it on his arm, right? And he knelt down and he washed the disciples' feet. A humility. That's, this, is, this is what covenant relationship looks like. What can I do to make your day better? What can I do to serve you? It's really the relationship, in a sense, because th- that I have with you as your pastor. My, my job is not to be your pastor and sit up on a throne and pull into my fancy parking spot. My job is to be the head servant. My job is to serve you in, in whatever way that I can. And that's the relationship we're to have. That's covenantal relationship, right? That I'm not looking for what I get out of it. Covenant, this is the last one that, I, that I've got on your sheet there. Covenant has the interest of others in mind. Contract has personal convenience in mind. Contract has personal convenience. It's, it's about me. It's the way I want it. Is this going to be good for me? Do I like this? Do I like... And so here's what I... I want to say to you, and i got two final keys I'm going to close with today to, to challenge you with, but marriage, young people, you're thinking about marriage. You're looking around. I, I know i got three teenage girls at home. Boys comes up every once in a while in our house. Like five times a day. And what I want to impart to you now is Are you starting a mindset in the way that you interact with the opposite sex that is contractual? That is what you get out of it. I like him, I like her because of the way they make me feel. But a covenant relationship says, God, what is it that you've called me to do? Is this the right person for me to serve alongside with that we might be able to fulfill your purpose? Now let me say to those of you who are married, because there's some here that are married, and I can already hear in your head that you're going, well, I think we probably got married for the wrong reasons, so maybe we should get a divorce. And no, that is not the answer. A divorce is not the answer. A change of mindset is the answer. Right? It's it's, it's for you to change your mindset to understand, no longer do I need to look at this person as what I get from them. I need to look at this person as how do I help them fulfill their God-given purpose and serve them. Now, when I say that, the immediate pushback is going to be, well, that sounds all good in church. But tomorrow I'm going to do really good not to kill them. Right? Tomorrow I'm going to do really good not to... You know, just lose my mind and say something again. So I want to give you 
two final keys to kind of help us when we come to this relationship. When we come to romantic relationship, when we come to the marriage type of relationship that we're dealing with, two final keys I'm going to give you. Number one, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice. If you're young, you're going to feel some feelings. Can I challenge you? Can I, can I, can I switch your, your whole world upside down as far as your thinking? If you're having all kinds of goo-goo feelings, I think you should challenge those. I think you should be concerned. See, see, it's not the goo-goo feelings that we should be excited about. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's the goo-goo feelings that draw us in, and there's nothing wrong with the tingles. I call them the tingles. Usually the tingles last somewhere between two and three years. That's, that's when you get the tingles, right? From the time somebody starts dating or they, whatever, that you get about two or three years of the tingles, and then the tingles go away. Can I get an amen from our old married people here? Right? The tingles go away, and no longer is it a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice that I get up tomorrow morning, and I choose to love and serve Jennifer Matheny with all that I have. Not based on what she does for me, not with an if-then clause, right? If you do this, then I'll do my part, right? I can't tell you how many times I've done marriage counseling, and that's what I hear. Well, yeah, I mean, I know I'm supposed to show him respect, but there's not a whole lot to respect. See, that's an if-then statement, right? That's an if-then clause, when that's not at all the way that we were called to interact in this. Because you've got to get your mind out of you and that person and the battle that's happening here because of our own sinful natures and get your mind on what is it that God has put us together. Because here's what I'll say to you, God can redeem anything. So maybe you got married for the wrong reasons. Maybe you're having some struggles. I've seen God do miraculous things with broken marriages. When they surrender their heart. When they surrender their rights. When they make Jesus Lord. And say, Jesus, from the beginning, this was all supposed to be about you. This was all supposed to be about your purposes. And so he can do great things. Colossians 3 and 14, and, all, um, and over all these virtues, put on love. I love that term. Did you hear it? Put on love. It doesn't say feel love. It doesn't say, well, stand back until you feel it. No, it says put on love. Choose to actually pull it out of the closet and put it on, right? Yes, when they're being a jerk. Yes, when they're being annoying and driving you crazy. Put on love, listen to this, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You want to find unity in your marriage? You want to find unity in all your relationships, for that matter. Put on love. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. I choose to love you. I choose to go beyond what I feel. Number two is this. Number two, and I'm going to close. The capacity to love comes from receiving love. The capacity to love comes from receiving love. Let me say it to you this way. You can't give away what you don't have. You, you can't give out what you don't have. Right? You, you, you don't know what you don't know. This is why we need each other. This is why we need people around us to challenge us, encourage us, push us forward a little bit. Go, hey, did you think about this? Did you think about that? Because you don't know what you don't know. 
And so the, so the reality is, is you have to get out of your normal mindset. You can't give something you don't have. And here's what I would say to you this morning. Listen, listen to the next, just for the next minute or so, and then we're going to close. Have you really received God's love? Have, have you... Have you really received God? I'm not, listen to me, don't, I'm not talking to you about a church experience. I'm not talking about worship where you got goosebumps. I'm talking about, do you grasp in your soul that you have a Heavenly Father that really loves you? That no matter what anyone else has said to you, what other names people have called you? No matter what people have spoken over your life, you're never going to be this, you're never going to do that. that. No, 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 you have a Heavenly Father and He's not looking down on you with disgust. He's not looking down on you going, oh, screwed up again today. And that's the way we view God. And I need you to hear, your God is so in love with you. He's so passionately excited about who he's called you to be and what he wants to do with your life. And you have to grab a hold of that. And you can only do it with faith. You have to choose. You have to choose in this moment and in whatever moment you decide to receive that. You have to choose and go, you know what? I don't understand it. I don't get it. I may even not feel it right now. Back to number one, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. But that I would choose to say, God, I receive your love today. And I recognize that the reason I struggle not only with marriage or romantic relationships, but maybe all of my relationships, is because I have not received your love. I don't have it to give out. I think sometimes we have the exact opposite picture of, of, of God. That God's the big Zeus God, you know, and he's holding a lightning bolt. Right? He's going, go ahead, do it again. Go ahead. We all have this picture of that's who God is. He's just waiting for us to screw up. And what I need you to hear about God this morning, and what I need you to receive, even if it's just by faith today, is there a Heavenly Father who's up there? And there's nothing quite like I'm emotional. I'm going to cry a little bit. <laughs> There's nothing quite like watching my kids do something amazing. Right? Nothing quite like watching them succeed or have something amazing going. But can I say this to you as well? I had one of my kids, and I can't tell a story because it's real recent, and it wouldn't be appropriate for me to share their, their dirty laundry. But I had to pick up one of my kids recently from a real bad scenario. They blowed it. You know what I'm saying? They blowed it big. And the whole time I was driving there, I'm fighting the normal, I'm going to kill them. I'm taking their door off, their hinges. They're grounded until they're 47. Right? I'm going through all the rah, 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 rah. And it hit me. When I have blown it my biggest, I have never needed my Heavenly Father any more than at that very moment. 
so when I picked him up, I said, you need me real bad right now. They just looked down. I said, that's good. That's why I'm here. You need to know how much you're loved. You need to know that I'll walk you through this. No matter what we go through, if I pick you up from jail, if I pick you up from a terrible situation, if I pick you up from the greatest success that you've ever had, I'm never going to love you any less. I'm never going to love you anymore. Somebody here today needs to hear that about your Heavenly Father. That that's the way He looks at you. He can't love you anymore. He can't love you any less. He is absolutely crazy about you. And maybe the reason we're struggling so much in our relationships in being loving and being a servant is because we haven't received that love from Him this morning yet. And so that's the way I'm going to pray for you this morning. I hope you'll take some of this thought and you'll go back maybe to your marriage or relationships and consider consumer versus, you know, covenant and and, and put some of those things in play. But what I need you to do first this morning is just to receive his love again. Some of you may feel some disappointment in yourself lately because something you've done, said, whatever it is. And today, can I just encourage you by choice by faith, not by feelings, just to receive God's love. Let me pray for you um, in that first, and then I want to pray over our relationships that we would do it in a healthier way in the way God's called us. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me real quick? God, I'm so grateful that you love us like that. I'm so grateful that in your economy, wherever sin abounds, so does your grace. Thank you for your grace over us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that at our worst, you look at us and say, you need me and I'm here and I love you. God, for anybody here today who's struggling with that reality, you make it very real, would you, would you touch their heart in this moment, Holy Spirit? Remind them how important that you sent your only son to die. If it had just been them, you, you loved them that way. That we would receive your love today. We would receive your love today. That we, God, thank you for showering your love upon us. Father, I pray over this, constitute, this, this, this concept of marriage. It's so under attack in our culture today. Help us, God, to get away from consumerism, contractual relationship, and live the covenant that you've made with us, this covenant relationship that is passionate. I pray that over those that are married here today, whether it be 62 years or six days, Help us, God, to live this out. Help us to receive your love and then give it. Help us to live covenant. Help us to fulfill purpose that you have outside of the two of us, a purpose and a design you had for us to fulfill and meaning. For the young people that are here today, God, I pray you protect them, guard them, give them wisdom to understand they don't want to enter a contract. They really want to enter a covenant. Help them to develop the habits the things now 
that will carry that through them to finding the helpmate that you've designed so that they can fill the purpose that you have designed for their lives. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in this place with us. Thank you for loving us. And if there's anybody here today, I just want to pray that you've never received Jesus for the very first time. You've never asked him to be Lord of your life. You, you heard love differently today. That today you might consider just praying a simple prayer, something like this. Jesus, today I surrender my heart to you. Surrender my life to you. As best as I understand today, I receive your love. I choose to believe that you love me right where I am. Thank you for giving me of my sins. As best as I understand, I'm going to try to serve you the rest of my life. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.